Oil prices already hit by coronavirus fears took a steeper dive after Saudi Arabia announced it would increase oil production and cut its prices. This caused havoc for markets around the world and here at home. I'm Dave Breckenridge, and this is 10-3. We look at what spurred the Saudis to make that call and what it means for Alberta's already battered oil industry as well as for the Canadian economy. Don't forget you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your favorite shows. We'd also love it if you could leave us a rating, a review, and tell your friends about us. I'm joined by Calgary Herald business columnist Chris Varco. So Chris, the financial markets got the week off to a pretty rough start in large part due to the price of oil really taking a dive. Now, I believe this is all tied to Saudi Arabia deciding to ramp up production. Why did the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia decide they were going to flood the market? Well, the roots of this actually go back to developments on Thursday and Friday of last week. So the coronavirus is the backdrop against all of what we're talking about here. And with the outbreak of the virus, we've seen oil demand, particularly in China, fall fairly precipitously. And it's expected to continue to fall throughout this year as the virus spreads. OPEC, really led by Saudi Arabia, they're the largest producer in the cartel, wanted to see an additional production cut by about 1.5 million barrels a day. And they approached their allies, primarily Russia, and what they call the OPEC Plus group, and proposed this cut. And uh, Russia balked. They did not want to uh, see an additional cut. They basically wanted to wait and see what the implications of the outbreak were going to be on oil markets. And we saw oil prices at, you know, in the middle and end of last week in the mid to low $40. Well, over the weekend, after Russia walked away from the table and said, you know, we're not going to do these cuts, we saw uh, Saudi Arabia, uh, under the leadership of Mohammed bin Salman, decided they're going to do two things. One is they're going to crank up oil production, and Saudi Arabia has the capacity to do that in a significant way. And they cut their official selling price fairly significantly. So you've got two things now going on in oil markets. You've got a demand reduction, which is very significant. And then you've got a supply issue going on, more supply. And then the backdrop is the coronavirus. So you've got the markets in a, in a panic. You've got oil prices plunging. And we saw that on Monday, a huge drop in oil down into the low 30s. Even today, we've seen oil recover a little bit. West Texas Intermediate, as we're talking here on Tuesday morning, is trading around $33, but the markets are in turmoil. Oil markets are responding to this uncertainty in a big way. It kind of makes sense that because there's a lower demand for oil because of the coronavirus, the idea that countries like Saudi Arabia would want to cut production to help keep the price up, that kind of makes sense. But what's the rationale behind the latest move to slash the price and then ramp up production to flood the market and even drive the price down further? I think the, most people who are watching the markets have, are thinking that the Russians decided they didn't want to participate in these reductions and managing the market, which they've done really since 2016 with OPEC, because they were tired of U.S. shale oil producers uh, being able to ramp up their production, increase their production, and take away market share at, at the time when OPEC and its allies have been reducing the market share. Then on the other side, you've got Saudi Arabia, which has really, as I said, has drives much of the decisions in, in OPEC because they're such a significant producer and they've got surplus, they've got extra capacity, which they can manage the market, deciding that they're going to engage in a price war. We've seen this in the past in the 1980s. We saw this even in 2014, where Saudi Arabia can 
produce more oil and push other producers out of the market. They can take more pain, essentially, than any other producers in the world because their production costs are so much lower. Now, the Russians have lower production costs than, than other places in the world, such as the U.S. shale producers, but nobody wants to see or can withstand oil in the 20 or $30 range for very long without it starting to hurt. So this is really a game of who can take the most amount of pain. The markets were already feeling a little bit of pain as it was, especially the, uh, the price of oil, because people were using less of it due to cutting back on travel and, and things like that because of the coronavirus. You know, is there a threshold the markets can stand when it comes to, you know, kind of misery on top of misery? You mean how low can they go? Um, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, in 2016, it was February 2016, where we saw prices dip down into, I believe it was about $27, $28 a barrel. It didn't stay there very long. And in fact, it was only a couple of months before it was back up over $40 a barrel. Mm -hmm. You know, at these kind of prices, very few uh, producers are making money. And as, as I say, it's not really in anybody's interest to see it go this long. There is kind of a, a theory out there, and I've seen some people say, some analysts say that, this is kind of a shock and awe attempt by Saudi Arabia to get the Russians back to the table, that they don't really want this to be the permanent state of affairs or even the midterm state of affairs. They just want to get Russia and, uh, and the other sort of allies back to the table and try and get this market back into a, a correction point of view. Uh, but I don't think anybody really knows how long this is going to last. And that's why you're seeing the markets respond with such uncertainties because nobody knows what's going to happen next. This is seen as a fight between allies, in a sense. You, you mentioned them, Saudi Arabia, possibly trying to get Russia back to the table. But obviously, this has repercussions around the world. And looking at Canada, especially Alberta, this seems like it couldn't have happened at a worse time. <laughs> as if we needed another reminder that Alberta is a price taker, not a price maker, this is it. You, I mean, we just had the Alberta government come out with a budget two weeks ago saying oil was going to average $58 a barrel beginning in April till forward for another year. Well, that obviously is not going to happen. I mean, we're so far off that point that that, that really does seem implausible. You've also had the oil and gas industry really going through four or five years of a prolonged downturn. Much of it sparked by the 2014-2015 price correction. Then you got into the whole pipeline, you know, issues. And we saw, you know, Western Canadian select oil trading around $20 a barrel in late 2018. So this is not new territory for the Canadian producers. If there is any sort of silver lining here, and it's really not much of a silver lining, it's just that the Canadian producers have been battle-tested over the last three or four years. They have cut their costs. Uh, they've gotten lean. They've, they've adopted technology. So they're better positioned to probably withstand some of the pain than they were three or four years ago. But let's make no mistake, this is going to hurt Alberta. This is going to hurt Canadian oil and gas producers. When you talk about Canadian producers really being battle-tested already, that's a good starting point, but we've already seen some companies come out and say that they're going to cut capital spending or they're going to suspend things like crude by rail. How has the reaction been in the oil patch in Alberta so far? Well, even as, you know, in the last couple of weeks, we saw in as, as prices were, were falling into the $40 barrel mark, we saw some companies like Surge Energy saying they were going to defer some of their spending until later in the year. We saw on Friday, Vermilion Energy cut their dividend in half. Then on late Monday night, Tuesday morning, we saw Synovus Energy, a big oil sands producer, as you point out, cut their capital spending by about 32%, about $450 million. 
Companies uh, that I think have the capacity or the necessity to move will move quickly. And I think in some ways, they want to be seen to be responding as well. I mean, we saw Sonovus Energy share price fall on Monday by more than 50%. And they're not the only company that was in that boat. Hmm. But I think companies that are perceived to be very oil-weighted or perceived maybe to have a little more debt or more leverage than others will, will feel the pressure on the stock markets. And I suspect... If this drags on for much longer, you're going to see a lot more companies respond. The one thing about the timing here is most Canadian oil and gas producers that have been drilling in the first quarter are getting ready to sort of slow down because of spring breakup. You can't, you just physically can't get into some areas. So this maybe provide them a little bit of a window to wait and see what's going to happen. But if, you know, we've got oil at $32 a barrel in two or three months, you're going to see a lot more capital spending cuts happen. You talk about Alberta projecting oil at a $58 a barrel on average through the year to fund its budget. What does a hit like this mean for the Alberta bottom line? Well, it's huge. Right now, natural resource revenues make up about 10 or 12%, I believe, of total revenues for the province. I believe the government says that every $1 drop in West Texas Intermediate crude over the course of a year cuts about $350 million of revenues and royalties out of their budget. We've got bitumen and natural resource revenues probably making up about $5 billion of the expected revenue in the 2020-2021 budget year. So that will be cut sharply. Uh, you know, I, I don't think anybody can really predict how low it's going to go, but it's going to leave a massive hole in the government's bottom line. And we saw the premier talk about the fact that they're probably going to have to respond. And I think we're really waiting to see what they can do. And the other side of that coin for the Alberta government is part of the budget announcement was this whole idea of a blueprint for jobs. Has Premier Jason Kenney talked about what the potential slowdown in the oil industry could mean for jobs in Alberta? Well, he discussed yesterday the fact that capital spending will probably get cut. I mean, capital spending leads to jobs. If there's more money being spent by the oil and gas industry... That means that there's going to be more jobs planning the work. There's going to be more jobs drilling, more jobs in the oil field services sector. I mean, there's there's a direct correlation between how much money oil and gas companies spend and how many jobs are created in Western Canada and, and particularly in Alberta. So they can have a jobs plan all they want, but if oil's at $32 a barrel, the game changes. As the premier renewed his call for the federal government to step in with some kind of aid package or a re-juggling of the fiscal stabilization program, what has the premier said Alberta needs right now? Yes, the premier talked a little bit about this on Monday, and, and I believe the premiers are going to be meeting later this week. We've got a federal budget that's going to come. I don't think that there's any doubt that the federal government has to and will respond in some manner. They'll probably have to spend more money, put money forward in for infrastructure. I mean, a subnational government maybe can do a few things here. You know, government of Alberta can maybe do a few things in pushing forward some of their infrastructure. But we're talking about a geopolitical battle here, you know, an oil price war that has broken out. The federal government's going to have to respond. And it's not just for Alberta. We should remind people that we're also talking about Newfoundland and Saskatchewan are big oil producers. They're going to be impacted here, too. And what about the downstream effects of an oil shutdown or an oil industry rollback that impacts other provinces like Ontario or like Quebec? Like what is the overall concern here for Canada of this going long term? So the oil and gas industry is obviously most focused and, and it has the biggest impact upon Alberta. But this is truly a national industry. In 2018, the oil and gas industry employed more than 269,000 people directly, uh, indirectly supported more than 500,000 jobs. 
The oil and gas industry and energy industry accounted for more than 11% of GDP in the country, it made government revenues in the, in the neighborhood of $14 billion. This is going to have implications right down across the country, supply chains, you know, you've got steel, manufacturing, you know, and it doesn't matter whether you're on Ontario, Quebec, uh, Saskatchewan, British Columbia, you know, these ramifications will be national in nature. Has Alberta Premier Jason Kenney given any indication that he may look at his financial plans again, like he may do a redo on the budget or he may, you know, change course on any of these things, debt repayment, uh, tax cuts, anything along those lines? Premier Kenny made, started making some remarks last Friday and then he kind of reiterated it Monday that, you know, the province's plan, his plan to bring Alberta back into a balanced budget situation by 2022-2023 may be jeopardized by this. And I don't think there's any way that the government can cut enough to make up for what could be a massive revenue shortfall. He did say, however, that, you know, once they get through the first quarter financially for the, for the government, which, you know, sometime after the summer, that they may have to re-examine some of their plans. But I really think, like everyone else, they're going to be watching to see what happens. Now, you mentioned uh, kind of off the top that oil is rebounding uh, today as we're talking about 6%. Could this be a short-term slowdown or, or is this the kind of thing that Saudi Arabia really kind of holds all the cards here and could, I guess, not hold the world hostage, but hold oil prices hostage in the long term? I think the, the signs everyone's going to be watching for is whether there's more discussions and more negotiations between Russia and Saudi Arabia and, and OPEC in general. This obviously can turn around, I would say, fairly quickly if an accord is reached and it's enough to make the markets feel like whatever reductions happen are enough to offset what happens with the coronavirus. Because remember, we don't really know how big the impact globally is going to be on oil demand uh, until this sort of plays out over the next three to six months, I suspect. But yes, all those cards really, going back to your point, I think all of those cards are really uh, resting between Russia and Saudi Arabia and OPEC. And if they decide to reach an agreement, prices could respond quickly. But right now, that doesn't appear to be in the cards. It's definitely a, a fascinating look at how an outbreak of a potentially deadly disease can impact uh, things far beyond the medical world. Chris, thanks for your time. Appreciate it. Thank you. 10.3 is produced by Carson Jarama. Additional production from Dean Pilling. Theme music by Bryce Hall. Thanks to my guest, Chris Varco. More from him at calgaryherald.com. I'm Dave Breckenridge. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.